Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. What's going on this morning, Ecclesia? Uh, this is my name is Drew, as Ian said, and I, it is such an honor and a privilege to be able to bring the word for you this morning. Uh, I can't wait for the the opportunity that I'll have at some point uh, in the future to be able to meet you in person, to be able to worship with you. Uh, I, I've heard so so many things about this community, about what God is doing in you and through you and i'm so encouraged by all that i'm hearing but it's an honor for me to be with you today uh, even virtually to bring this word you know when ian asked me to bring this word uh, the thing that really started to stir up in me was something that god had laid on my heart to share with our community a week ago and so uh, i wanted to share it with you all this week and we in our community have been going through a sermon series called walk in the light uh, and we've been journeying through uh, the the letter of first john for the season of Eastertide. And if you're not familiar with Eastertide, Eastertide is the 50 days between Easter Sunday and Pentecost Sunday. And uh, uh, between the, the resurrection of Jesus and the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the main question that uh, we asked during this time is, what does it mean to live in light of the resurrection? What does it mean for us to be people of resurrection? And so we've been asking John this question and um, as we've been going through, we are in our study about halfway through the book. And when first, so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 3 today. I want to bring a word for you from 1 John 3, verses 11 through 24. And I'm going to read this text for us. Um, and then John writes this. He says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so what I want to talk to you about today, the title of this sermon is Made for Love. Made for Love. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we are so thankful 
to be able to gather together in this virtual space. But, but we know that distance doesn't stop our worship. And so God, I pray that wherever we're, we're at as we're uh, tuning in and watching this, God, that you would meet us, that you would minister to our hearts, that you would open up our ears to be able to hear the things that you want to speak to us. And Lord, that you would just, just meet us deeply, Lord. We, we don't want to sit here and just kind of go through the motions, but we want to have an encounter with you, the true and living God, even in our living rooms and in our bedrooms or wherever we're sitting at, we want to meet you. And so, Lord, I pray that the name of Jesus will be lifted high and exalted above every other name. And that to that end, I would not be a distraction. So would you move me out of the way and hide me behind your cross, Jesus, so that you might be all in all. And so, Lord, I ask that you would let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, you know, a lot of us during this time of quarantine, we have picked up some new things to do and some new hobbies that we're trying. I mean, we've got to find some way to pass the time, right? So some of you have gone out and you've bought up all the yeast in your local grocery store and you've been making bread. You've been making bread. I, I wonder how many pandemic bread makers we have out there. But you know, one thing that I've started to do is I've been writing poetry during this time. It's actually just been a practice for me during this time that has helped me to pay attention when I so often just want to zone out. And one new thing that my wife Janae and I have started doing together during this time is we've picked up this, this new job, this new vocation of becoming kindergarten teachers. Yeah, we, we have uh, two uh, five, five-year-old twin girls and we've been helping our girls navigate this shift to virtual school, helping them with their assignments and their projects. And, and let me tell you, I've never been more thankful for teachers. Shout out to all of you essential workers out there, all of you teachers who are doing that essential work. You, we're just so grateful for you. You know, as I've been looking at the assignments and the projects that the girls get to do every day, and I've been listening in on their Zoom sessions with their classes, I started to pick up on some of the methods and the strategies of teaching that the girls' teachers are using. One of the things that I've noticed is how readily they utilize the strategy of repetition. If you've ever done any teaching of any kind or you've spent any significant time in a learning environment, which all of us have, you know just how important repetition is in the learning process. I've heard it said before that if you want to get your point across, you need to repeat yourself so often that you get sick of hearing yourself say it. As I mentioned earlier, our church has been going through 1 John. And we're not just about halfway through the book, but, but if you read 1 John, one thing that you'll notice is that John spends a lot of time repeating himself, saying the same things over and over again, saying the same thing in different ways. And if there's one point that John wants to get across about what it means to walk in the light or to walk in the way of Jesus or to use the Eastertide language of living in light of the resurrection, it's that this way of life looks like loving one another. Resurrection life is a life that is marked by love. Now, of course, there are all sorts of questions about what love is 
about what it means to love and how to put love into practice. Uh, But John is trying to communicate to us that love sits at the core of this good news that was delivered to us from the beginning. And whenever you see John use that phrase from the beginning, it's not just a reference to the beginning of our faith journey, but it's also a reference to the beginning of creation. It's a reference to Genesis chapter one, where it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when John says here in verse 11, this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that you should love one another. He's also making a statement about human vocation and human purpose. If you ever wanted to know, why am I here? Why were we created? John's answer to that would be for the sake of love. To love and to be loved has been written into our DNA code as human beings. You and I were made for a life of love. And to help us understand what this means, John actually employs another strategy of teaching that is common pedagogical practice. And that is to teach through contrast. So if you're wanting somebody to learn something, One of the ways to do that is to help them see what that thing is not. And so after John reminds us of that one thing he wants us to get, which is to love one another, he then says, don't be like Cain. And so he brings us into this primal human story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4 to give us a picture of what it looks like not to love. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis chapter 4 looking at this story to to see if we can get underneath of what John is trying to get at. And so let me read this text for you from Genesis chapter 4. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. Listen to this portion. Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So so remember that Genesis 4 Genesis 4 is right after Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. This is the first uh, chapter of the Bible outside of the Garden. 
And Adam and Eve give birth to two sons. The older son is Cain and the younger son is Abel. Now Cain's job within the family is to farm. And Abel's job within the family is to shepherd the flocks. As part of their worshiping and honoring of God, they each bring sacrifices before God. Cain brings some of his produce and Abel brings the firstborn of his flock. The text tells us that for some reason, God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but was not pleased with Cain's. Now, I'm not going to spend time getting into why that might have been, but, but what I want us to look at and what John wants us to look at is Cain's response to the whole situation. See, there are many times in life where we don't have control over the things that happen to us, but we do have some say in how we respond. And verse 5 tells us that Cain became very angry and his face fell. So when Cain sees his brother doing well, something starts to happen within Cain's heart. He becomes angry and his face falls, which, which is a way of saying he was sad to the point where he couldn't even look others in the eye. One translation says that Cain became dejected, like he fell into a sort of depression. And it's telling that the Bible puts these two things together, anger and sadness. As Pete Scazzaro says in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, anger is often a surface emotion. When we find ourselves becoming angry, it's usually an indication that there is something else going on for us underneath the surface. And many times what we're angry about is actually connected to some, some deep sadness that we're carrying. Sadness that may be entirely unrelated to the situation that caused us to be flooded with anger. So, for example, someone could cut me off in traffic and I could be angry. I mean, steaming and seething with anger. But the flood of anger that I'm experiencing actually has very little to do with the person cutting me off. Oh, but it's really about the fact that Mother's Day just passed and my mom's not around to celebrate that with me anymore. Do you see what I'm saying? See, so often when we ourselves or, or when we see others rip into a fit of anger, the situation that's causing them to be angry is not usually what the issue is, but, but it's that their emotional tank is already so full with so many other things that they're carrying. And that moment, whatever it is, that moment that happens, it sets them over the top somehow. See, I don't know what was going on for Cain. I don't know Cain's whole story. I don't know the baggage that Cain was carrying. I don't know Cain's family history. But, but what I do know is that, that God wanted Cain to explore what was going on underneath the surface of his life. As soon as Cain starts to feel these things, it says in verse 6 that God came to Cain and started to ask him, Why are you so angry? Why are you so sad? And this right here is so beautiful. And, and, and I don't know where you're at, but, but some of you right now, you might just need to lean in and listen for the voice of God asking you those questions. Not in a harsh way, but in a, in a gentle, in a loving way, in a loving voice asking you, why are you so angry? 
What, what is it that is making you so sad? See, God makes no judgments on Cain's emotions. God just invites Cain to explore them. See, one of the things you need to understand about God is that one of the primary ways that God comes to us is by way of our emotions. God uses our emotions to get our attention and to invite us to pay attention to what's going on beneath the surface of our lives. And here's why this matters. If you don't get anything else from what I'm saying today, I want you to get this. It matters because an unexamined inner life will always lead to outward harm. Let me say that again. I'm gonna put into practice this method of repetition. An unexamined inner life will always lead to outward harm. When we neglect the anger that we feel, the sadness that we carry, the shame that has been sitting deep within us for a long time, all of those things that we carry will end up coming out and they will do damage to other people. Unexamined inner lives destroy our relationships. And they are at the root of so much of the violence that we see in our world. See, God doesn't have an issue with the fact that Cain is angry and sad. God just wants to know from Cain, what are you going to do with your anger and your sadness? And we read this, and so you know how the rest of this story goes. But, but Cain ended up going out into a field with his brother uh, Abel to have a little chat. And while they were out there, Cain took Abel's life. Cain's anger and sadness ended up overtaking him, and that resulted in Abel's destruction. And one of the great tragedies about this whole story is that Abel never actually did anything to Cain. Abel became the outward recipient of Cain's inner turmoil. So what is John trying to get us to see about loving one another by making use of this story? A few things, but, but one of them is this. Is that loving one another well requires us to attend to what's going on beneath the surface of our lives. We cannot love well while neglecting our inner life. And I'm not going to belabor this point because we've already been talking about it, but I will say that this is so important for us to pay attention to during this time of quarantine and global pandemic. There is so much anxiety that we're all carrying with uncertainty around the future, uncertainty about our work. There, there's anxiety with the, the lack of physical connection and not being able to be with one another. And some of us are feeling deeply, deeply isolated. There's just, there's so much that we're carrying. And on top of that, on top of that, we're, we're also experiencing a surge of racial violence with the anti-Asian racism that has been on the rise during this time. And with the continuation of police brutality uh, and, and policing certain communities around social distancing, we, we're seeing that in New York City a whole lot. And with, and with the continuation of white supremacy taking the lives of black and brown bodies. These are traumatic times that are affecting all of us. 
And if we're not paying attention, all of this stuff that we're carrying, it, it spills over and does harm to the people that we are called to love. So it's so vital, it's so important for us to, to really take the time and create the space in our lives to pay attention to what's going on beneath the surface, underneath this iceberg of my life. Another thing I believe John wants us to see in this story about what it means to love one another is that if Cain's actions resulted in the taking of the life of his brother, then love looks like life-giving action that contributes to the well-being of my brother or sister. Let me state this plainly. To be human means that you and I have been given the responsibility of contributing to and protecting each other's well-being. We are each other's keepers. To love is to be my brother and my sister's keeper. If this is what love looks like for John, then when he uses the term hate in this text, he means any action that steals life from my brother or sister and any time I withhold something that could contribute to their well-being and their flourishing. See, John says, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? The word used here for the world's goods is the, the Greek word bayon. It's where we get our word biology from. And at its core, it means anything that contributes to life and flourishing. So that could be material possessions, which John certainly has in mind here. But it also could be things like power and privilege. Anything that you have that contributes to your well-being. And so if I am withholding bio, things that contribute to flourishing from my brothers and sisters, John says that I am engaging in the act of hatred. And if I am engaging in the act of hatred, which is anything that takes or withholds life from my brother or sister, John says that is no different than the act of murder. That's heavy. That's, that's real heavy. Don't, don't move past that too quickly. In other words, just because I didn't pull the trigger doesn't mean that my hands are clean. One of the things that I have already referred to but that has really been so prevalent during this time has been racial violence. If you've been paying attention to the news, you, you know this. We've been seeing this over the past couple months with with the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Doug Lewis, and Sean Lee, and there are others. But, but when it comes to racial violence like this, the question is not simply whether or not I pulled the trigger or said the word or dumped the acid like, has, like happened in, in a neighborhood uh, as an expression of anti-Asian racism. Or, or, or through the fist. The, the question is not whether or not I did these things, but the question is, am I actively using what is in my hand, my voice, my power, my privilege, to contribute to a world 
in which my brothers and sisters of color can flourish. And so I want to outline for you real quick the, the four parts of love that I believe come out for us in this text. And the first thing I want to look at as, as one of the parts of love, one of the components that make up love, this action of love, is the act of seeing. And so when we talk about seeing, I mean that I have to look long enough at my brother or sister to take in their story and their circumstance. And as I'm seeing them and as I'm looking at them, I actually have to recognize that they are indeed my brother or sister. They're my kin. That's my flesh and blood. And so this isn't about giving somebody a passing glance. This is about gazing long enough to take it in. It's about not writing them off and not invalidating their story, but actually seeing. If I see my brother or sister in need. So to love, first and foremost, actually requires us to see. And once I begin to see and gaze, the second part of love is what I'm calling entering in. And when we talk about entering in, we are talking about compassionate empathy and solidarity. It means that as I'm looking at my brother or sister and that as I'm recognizing them as such, I am then taking the step to say, and you may not be able to understand their whole story completely, but how can I enter in to their space? And to, as the apostle Paul says, to, to weep with those who weep to mourn with those who mourn, to lament with those who are lamenting, to, to recognize that the tears that they are crying are actually our tears. How do I enter into their story with compassion and with solidarity? So once we've entered in, the third thing about entering into love, about engaging in this act of love is what I will call taking stock. And what I mean by taking stock is I mean, after I've seen what I've, what, what I've seen in this person and I've heard their story and I've entered in, I begin to look to see what I have in my hands that could contribute to their well-being. And so as I'm looking to see what I have in my hands, I'm looking at things like the power that has been given to me with the words that I choose to speak. Scripture tells us that life and death is in the power of the tongue. That, that our words have the power to create worlds, right? Our, our words hold power. So how am I using my words in a particular situation to, to encourage and to uplift rather than to tear down and to destroy and to dismiss and to write off? How am I using my words? That's something that's within my hand. But I'm also looking at my material possession, my, my finances and the other things that God has given me. What do I have in my hand materially that could go toward contributing to my brother or my sister's well-being, to their flourishing? Then I have to look at what I have access to by virtue of how I move through this world and the social location in which I occupy. What, what do I have access to? What doors do I get to walk through that my brother or my sister might not be able to? And how might I be able to open up doors that my brother or my sister doesn't have access to because of the ways that the systems of this world have been structured and set up against them. 
And then there's also looking at something like our voting power. That's something that we hold within our hands as, as people who live in the place that we live. How am I using my voting power? So I have to pay attention to who I'm choosing, who I am voting to put into office, and, and the, the policies that I'm choosing to support. Because who we put into office and the, the policies that we choose to support have a direct impact on the well-being and the flourishing of our neighbors. And so even when it comes to something like voting, it's, it, it, it should, we should be looking at that and, and processing that through the lens of love, not through the lens of my own self-interest, not through the lens of how will this benefit me and mine the most, but what about my brothers or sisters, especially those who have been trampled on and marginalized, the least of these? How can I use the power that's in my hands of voting to go toward their flourishing? And so once I have seen and once I have begun to enter in and once I have begun to do the work of taking stock, the last portion that I want to talk about is this portion of love that I'll call releasing. And when we talk about releasing, we're talking about letting go of what I have in my hands for the sake of my brothers and sisters. And so I can look at all the things that I have in my hand and then make the choice to hold on and hoard that for myself. Or I can look at it and then choose to open my hand and not close my heart, as John says, and actually release what I have for their sake. The theologian C.H. Dodd said that love is the willingness to surrender that which has value for your own life to enrich the life of another. And this is why John, on, one, on the one hand, holds up Cain as an example of what love does not look like. And on the other hand, he holds up Jesus as the prime example of what it looks like to love. John says in verse 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. See, when we consider Jesus, we see in Jesus the kind of love that moves beyond word and talk and hashtag into the action of laying down his life so that we might have life. Jesus had abundant life at his disposal, but when he saw us being choked out by the death grip of sin, screaming, we can't breathe on the street corner, he used what was in his hands to bring life to our suffocating souls. This is love. When the evil one was hunting us down and had a shotgun aimed at our lives, ready to take us out, Jesus stepped in so that we might run free. This is love love my brothers and sisters let us not love in word and in talk and in social media rants and in hashtags but in deed and in truth for this is how our savior has first loved us so as i prepare to close i want to bring you back into the story of cain and abel you know we talked earlier about how there was a lot going on beneath the surface of cain's life that was unattended to and when you reread the story, you see that underneath Cain's anger and sadness was this deep desire to be accepted and to be acceptable. A desire that, from his perspective, was going largely unmet. 
See, when we begin to do the deep work of excavation in our lives, we will often find that the deep emotions that we feel, the burdens that we carry, the shame that weighs so heavy on us, they so often have their root in feeling like our deep needs for love and for acceptance, for belonging, for being seen, have gone unmet. And what ends up happening is we start to believe certain things about ourselves because of this. We start to say to ourselves, I must not be that lovable. I must not be good enough to be accepted or to belong. And when this voice, this inner critic, becomes the dominant voice that we hear, the harm and the violence that we end up inflicting not only on ourselves internally as we, as we eat ourselves alive with the turmoil that we carry, but the, the violence that we end up inflicting on others actually has much more to do with our own self-condemnation. In other words, there are things that I hate in myself, but I end up taking that out on you. We all have a tendency towards self-condemnation. And this is often the seedbed of the harm and the violence that we inflict. When we do violence toward one another, we are often projecting onto another person what we hate about ourselves. And this is why John, after exhorting us not to be like Cain and holding up Jesus as the example of love, says in verse, chapter, verse 20, Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. This is John's way of saying to us that you and I are much harder on ourselves than God is on us. Receive that. See, the voice of God is not harsh. The voice of God is not condemning. And we need to know that what God has to say about us is greater and is more true than what our inner critic will ever tell us. And if we are going to learn to love like Jesus, it has to begin with us learning to hear and to be lavished in and to be overwhelmed by the divine voice of love that will always speak to us a better word than the condemning voice of our inner critic. I don't know what's happening inside of you right now as you listen to this. I don't know what's been going on in your life, but I wanna invite you this morning to let the divine voice of love wash over you and speak to you a better word than all of the other voices that are in your ear and that loud voice of your inner critic that wants to condemn and shame you. Let the voice of love wash over you. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. This is what you are. You are a child of God. You are loved by God. God delights in you. Let that wash over you and let it do its transformative work in you so that you can be a conduit, an extension of that love into the world for the sake of your 
and my brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.